Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Good Schools for All is made possible in part by UC San Diego Extension. UC San Diego Extension has partnered with San Diego Public Library System to bring middle and high school students a series of free, in-depth, and hands-on learning courses in topics like robotics, circuits, messy science, 3D modeling, and college planning. The Library Next program started as a pilot project in six San Diego libraries in early 2017 and is quickly expanding to more library branches throughout the city. This STEAM-centered program is sponsored by UC San Diego Extension's pre-college programs and the San Diego Public Library. Visit www.sandiego.gov slash library next for details. Good Schools for All is also made possible in part by Thrive Public Schools. Thrive Public Schools are charter public schools serving students in elementary, middle, and high school throughout San Diego. Thrive was named one of the top 75 schools in the nation and is celebrated by the state legislature and local officials for innovation and excellence in education. Thrive engages students through cutting-edge technology, hands-on projects, and small group teaching. Thrive students are college-prepared, career-inspired, and community-minded. Visit thriveps.org to schedule a tour and get engaged. says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible? Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego. We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids. We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something. Enjoy the show. There should be an excellent school in every community. Welcome to Good Schools for All. I am Scott Lewis. I'm here with my friend. Laura Cohn. How are you? I'm doing excellently. So if, uh, you know, we're trying to get a show every couple of weeks out. Mm-hmm. And uh, this last one we did um, uh, about the Poway Unified School District superintendent. I thought that was good. Before that, there was the round table with the union leaders, educator union leaders uh, from across the community. I thought that that was really good too. Um, uh, so if you haven't listened to that, go back in the feed. I think that was... Uh, it was worth it. Yeah, two great episodes. Okay, but this week we wanted to sit down and talk about this thing we've been working on for quite some time. We dropped something on you this week, San Diego. <laughs> um, it's called A Parent's Guide to Public Schools. Very proud of it. Laura and I uh, did a, a few episodes of this program last year where it became clear that we were not prepared to help people uh, sort of answer a lot of questions about how to make choices 
about schools, mm-hmm. right? As a as a parent, you you know, used to be you would just go to the school that was nearby. You had no choice, right? Now you can still do that. You can still send your kids to the school that's nearest. However, there's so many choices out there that that itself is a choice. And and if you're like me, I go to a restaurant, and I'm like tortured, right? <laughs> Cheesecake factory menu. It drives you batty. Yeah, there's like so many things. <laughs> like, uh, tortured. Did I get the right thing? It drives my wife crazy. It's like, you're not going to just pick the something. <laughs> but I'm always perpetually afraid I made a wrong decision. Well, with parenting, you're always worried you're making the wrong decision and your kid's going to be, you know, some psychopath or something. It's you're... consequential. So, uh, so look, the choices are out there. We can have a whole debate about whether there's too many choices or whatever. It's or right for, now. Or for some people, even in our county, not enough choices potentially. Exactly. Yeah, it depends where you are. Yeah, uh, But uh, this is the fact. So what we wanted to do is pull together everything we could about helping people make that choice. So uh, the 2018 A Parent's Guide to Public Schools is out. Mm-hmm. You, We just heard this week uh, that um, you should be able to find them in all city libraries by next week, which would be the last week of February, mm-hmm. and all county libraries as well. Some of you got them at your house. Got one complaint. Guy, guy was not so happy about that. <laughs> it happens sometimes. Sorry, sir. <laughs> uh, otherwise, it's been really well received. Everybody I handed to is just like, thank you. I was waiting for this. We had a, uh, it's just really, I think it's really handy. I'm proud of this. Yeah, I've had the same experience. I've given it out in a few meetings, and if the uh, person I'm with is a parent of a school-age kid, they immediately dive in, look at their school, look at the schools nearby, and then I lose them in yeah. the meeting. Yeah, exactly. They're just they're, <laughs> they're gone. Yeah. So it's like one of these. Uh, you know, my wife like and I when we were buying a car or something like she loves getting that that episode of, or that edition of the the consumers reports so mm-hmm. we can go through. So that's kind of what we uh, modeled it out of. We didn't rank the schools. So it's not like US News and World Report like college rankings. So it's not like the top 10 or anything But what we did do is take the uh, all the data that's available on the dashboard uh, from the state department of education to sort of and try to make that a little bit more readable for everybody to kind of look at at once. Yep. So we're going to go through in this episode, not just on the data that we pulled together, but also some of the other features. We we wanted to also make it easy for people to understand what was going on, have some ex- explanation behind the, not only the data, but also some of the deadlines and other things. And so, uh, again, we just had a bunch of conversations last year and it became clear that, uh, you know, there was a lot of demand for this. Yeah. And we should remind some of our listeners and some of your readers um, got the beta version of this right. guide last fall. We released um, an online map-based version mm-hmm. of the prior year's state data just to test it out and see see what the reaction to it was. So uh, folks may remember that. But this is now both in that format, but also in a in a magazine format. And if you want to follow along uh, at home, you can pull this up right now on your computer or on your phone at uh, voiceofsandiego.org. Um, that uh, slash uh, schools dash guide that's schools dash so that's the that's the the one the horizontal one hyphen the hyphen <laughs> guide g u i d e and you can um, get the pdf version so it actually renders pretty nice on an iphone or something it's not optimized obviously for 
mobile devices, but the PDF version does look okay on the on the iPad or on um, your uh, iPhone or, or Android. And so if you want to follow along, we're going to go through this and we're going to talk about some of the things that are on there. And also, uh, and I'll promote this at the end in case you want to write it down, we're going to have three events in different parts of the city of San Diego in different libraries to talk about information that is available for parents, uh, this particular guide. And then we're just going to answer questions and talk about and get feedback from people about what they would like to see. Should we get the resources to do this again next year or in following years? And so there's three events, March 14th at 4 p.m. at the Skyline Hills branch of the uh, City of San Diego Library System. Uh, March 20th at the at 6 p.m. of the Mira Mesa branch, at the Mira Mesa branch. And then tentatively, we've scheduled... April 7th at the Mission Valley branch. Have you ever been to that library? It's something else. That's what people tell me. I haven't seen it. It's no. one of the nicest in the cities, really. In the city, really. Uh, April 7th, Mission Valley Library, 10.30 a.m. That one's tentative. We'll confirm that later. But March 14th, 4 p.m. is the next one. All of our teaming fans out there, the <laughs> library better be ready for all the screaming fans of good the schools Good Schools for All, for all yeah. podcast. The groupies. Come, come down, out. come down, meet us, talk to us, tell us what you'd like to talk about on the podcast. Also, just tell us what you want to know about schools so we can help. But let's go through this. So um, so uh, I think we explained why we wanted to do this. Um, uh, how do you choose? You know, what we really wanted to do is lay out a really easy to read outline of if you, no matter what district you are, what time of the year do you have to make this choice by? Now, so for example, at San Diego Unified, there's only the October and November sort of window. It'll be announced soon when that exactly is for, for next year. Now, that's for choosing schools within the district-run schools. So let's say you live in uh, southeastern San Diego or you live in um, any part of the city and you want to you wanna go to a school uh, in Ocean Beach or in La Jolla or something like that. A traditional school, you have to do that within the window of applications. And for San Diego Unified, that's different than any other district in, in town in that it's in the fall that you have to make that choice. You have to get that done by November. Right. However, if you want to move into a charter school, charter schools generally take applications in the February-March area. And uh, and that's separate from that window mm-hmm. of time that San Diego Unified allows, right? Yep, January, February, March. Yeah. And so you can apply to, for instance, a lot of people. And they each have their own their own processes and own deadlines, so you have to look them up one by one. Yeah, exactly. So so San Diego Unified, for example, takes a few things into consideration. So you could you could ostensibly do something like this: if you live in one part of town, you could apply for two charter schools. You could have your local school ready, and you could also apply to st- to two schools in other parts of the city that you want to get into. You would make your top three selections from San Diego Unified, and then they make a variety of, they, they use a variety of factors to decide whether you can go or not. One is how many spots are open. Two is how many teachers in that district, in that school have their own kids that want to go. Mm-hmm. And then um, things like if your siblings go and stuff like that. Yep. All right. Anything else on that point? However, However you have to do that in the fall if you want to, if you want to yeah. pick a school outside your neighborhood in San Diego. San Diego Unified School District, the largest in the county, covers most of the city of San Diego, but not all. <laughs> I think a lot of people miss this. The city is, there's northern reaches of the city and the San Isidro area of the city are not in San Diego Unified School District. So right. 
some of these other ones, Grossmont, January, uh, Oceanside, January, you see the list on our school's guide. All right. Anything else on that? No. Okay. Let's move on. We've got our um, uh, charter school. What is a charter school? Now, this comes up all the time. People are always like, oh, you included uh, charter schools in the public school list? Of course we did because they are public schools, publicly funded, publicly accountable. Yeah, so some of them get um, philanthropic dollars, but so do normal schools. Right. Uh, some of them, uh, they're managed by quasi-independent boards. They're overseen by um, their own boards. Yeah. Uh, they, they're, they get charters for five years, and then they have to renew them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that charter comes from the local school district. Sometimes it comes from the county, and sometimes it comes from the state. Yeah, usually from the local district. Exactly. And so um, it's, but it is very public and they're not allowed to consider any factors uh, about you coming in there except for location, right? Mm -hmm. So they can't say, well, we want only smart kids or we want only these types of kids or this type of kid. In fact, uh, I noticed this year the high tech high application, they got dinged by the ACLU for having a discriminatory application process. However, the discriminatory factor was just that they required people to go to an orientation. Oh. And they were like, you can't acquire, require anything for the application. So now they just highly recommend that you go to the orientation. And so, uh, so that's even that. They're not supposed to require anything. Um, by the way, if you're going to go to one of those, it's a really good orientation. <laughs> it's really interesting. <laughs> get there early, though. Because uh, they get full, huh? Oh, it's busy. Yeah. yeah. All right, anything else on charter schools? Well, I mean, I'll just say people sometimes confound charter schools with private, as you said before, but less than 1% of all California charter schools are run by private entities. Um, The vast majority of them are run by nonprofit organizations. Got it. All right, another question we got a lot, and we talked about a lot last year as well, was what is TK? What is transitional kindergarten? So this is that program that, I, you know, I didn't realize and understand until we were right there with it, which is that kids who are born between September 2nd and December 2nd every year qualify for transitional kindergarten, which means that they could be four, four years old, turning five within that period and start school that August before mm-hmm. they turn five. Mm-hmm. And so basically for those kids whose parents procreated in the exact window of nine this, months earlier than <laughs> yeah if this of the this time. situation yeah they get a free extra year of of uh, public school 14th year of, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so it's just like the the uh, pregnancy period is nine months but it's really 10 months right <laughs> I mean sure. yeah exactly yeah and so the um, so transitional kindergarten it's at almost every elementary not quite every. No, not quite every because um, school districts that are funded locally instead of by the state uh, are tending in our community to opt out of providing transitional kindergarten, even though the law seems to say that they must provide it, but they are um, choosing not to and not not getting into trouble for it. Right. And then as we've noticed, some charter schools do uh, provide TK and some mm-hmm. do not. Like yeah. Thrive Public School does. Yeah. High Tech High does not. Yep. And so if your child is four years old right now, there is a chance that next year, even if they don't turn five before the school year starts, that they might turn five before, if they turn five before December 2nd, they, they can go to school. 
Yeah, and if charter schools offered uh, transitional kindergarten, then they'd have this whole these whole classrooms worth of old, uh, older students coming into their kindergartens who who already get in, and so that would disadvantage everybody else in the lottery mm-hmm. for the following year. So that's one consideration for charters as they think about TK. Right, and so you and I both are pretty opinionated about this. Mm-hmm. So full disclosure, we both believe I think that this is a rather odd benefit for just one select group of people based only on when they're born and you should probably let all four-year-olds go to school yes you should um i'm completely biased on that or none i mean you know let's yeah let's be fair about it but i'll also say for parents who are considering transitional kindergarten as i'm sure um you all did that it is a regular kindergarten's um ratio so you have one teacher for 24 four-year-olds which is um, you know, some people would argue it's not developmentally appropriate and, and transitional kindergarten teachers will tell you it's quite challenging. Sure. Behavior issues, um, teachers believe come up more often in those classrooms. So it's, it's a lot to think about for parents. It's free though. We spent some time last year talking about how the, the standards are really crunched on young parents these days or in young children these days. It's really something to watch. My son's in first grade now and he's doing spelling tests. Like they've moved like... He's expected to read well, which thankfully he really is. He's a bookworm, man. It's awesome <laughs> to watch. I, I His door was shut the other day and I was like, oh, what's he in there doing? And I barge in there and he's sitting on his chair reading and laughing at this book. And I was like, oh, I was moved. I went and told thing. his, I went and told his teacher, I was like, thank you. That was just, that's really beautiful that you've helped me and my son do that. He's genuinely enjoying books now. Oh, that's great. Anyway, so yes, they're expected to read really well at first grade and with with intent or meaning or whatever it is mm-hmm. and uh and and so yes it, sometimes maybe that tk helps maybe it doesn't so that's another thing to consider we also rounded up laura and i did five schools that uh, we thought were doing some particularly innovative thing we wanted to start this tradition of highlighting st- schools in a special way from across the district now there's i think three normal schools and two charters right yes yes Three traditional schools and two charters uh, that are doing, in particular, two things that we've highlighted a lot. Project-based learning mm-hmm. and indiv- individualized learning. So That's right. project-based is what? Project-based is when you learn, you're learning the same stuff that you're supposed to learn, but you do it through a project, often in collaboration with other students and ideally with some kind of application to the real world mm-hmm. in, in its best it's best version. Right. So in in the old version, you would learn math and then English and then all these things and, and spelling and geography. And what the idea is, is that if you work on a project that incorporates all those different things, you'll learn them because you'll be more interested in the project than just the specific discipline. Yeah. And you'll learn them in an applied way rather than an abstract way. Right. Second. And uh, you also gain skills that are really good for life, like teamwork and collaboration and um, taking turns at things. So there are other benefits for your learning that are not just the pure academics. Right. And the second thing we wanted to highlight was this um, personalized learning system that a lot of schools are starting to adapt at different levels and different ways. Uh, for example, one of the schools we highlight in this section is Vista High School, and they got a big grant to do personalized learning, which is literally tailor a plan for each individual student and then you know make them progress it through their education as that plan goes along, as opposed to, as opposed to, well, they're in 10th grade, so they get this and they're in 11th grade and they get this. Yeah. I mean, ultimately someday it'll be competency-based education, but in the meantime, 
yeah, it, it it's systems that allow kids to move at their own pace or start at their own level and progress from there. Yeah, so we highlighted uh, Design 39, which we talked about with the superintendent of Poway Unified School District. Yeah. And uh, that's a traditional school at Poway that's uh, um, very innovative and interesting. We did Del Lago High School. What's What attracted you about Del Lago? Oh, I love Del Lago High School. It's a, a school of choice, but regular district school up in Escondido Union High School District with an emphasis on the health sciences and biotechnology, biosciences. And so, yeah, a lot of um, project-based learning and also applied learning because they have partnerships with the private sector and just a really warm um, campus also. And then uh, Vista High, we just mentioned, Thrive and High Tech High. So, all right, let's get into the meat now. We wanted What we wanted to do is provide the data uh, that is available on the school's state school dashboard and really present it, and that's why we use Consumer Reports as kind of a model and to show, and there's these little Harvey balls. So these are the, the balls of information. If they're filled in with red, that's very good. If they're filled in with black, that's very low. And then we put next to it an arrow about in which direction the performance and competency are going. So if, so there's basically two areas, English and language learning and, uh, and math. Right. And so how well are they doing? And how is it improving or not? Right. And that's an innovation by the state. They previously only shared with us um, that basic information about the level of the performance of kids in a school. And they've added this new dimension that is really important. And we're all figuring out how to digest it, which is the trajectory right. of the performance. And then we wanted um, to make sure, and I think this is the part that we, we probably could have highlighted better, um, but we want to make sure that the context on how they're performing is also in, includes what their challenges are. Uh, so for example, we wanted to highlight how many uh, students are English language learners in each school, which um, I actually think of as a, I think it's an attribute of a school to be doing well with a significant population of this, of this, of these students trying to learn English. Yeah. There are a lot of us parents who are looking for diverse experiences for our children for one thing. And for another thing, yeah, if you have a school that's performing well and with a lot of diversity of its kids, then that's that's kudos to that school. And then uh, we also included uh, how many, what percent of students are uh, qualifying for free or reduced price lunch, which is a, or meals, which is a, a, a measurement in some ways of poverty. Yeah, that's the, the measurement that the education world uses for the level of poverty of its students. And, uh, you know, and I think this guide really, <laughs> I mean, it just, it presents very starkly that, Schools in better areas are in 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 more wealthy areas are doing better than schools in poorer areas in some in some sense as far as these measurements go. Or to be more specific, yes. that students in more wealthy areas perform higher on standardized tests Fair. than students well in lower income areas. Exactly, and so on average, on average, yeah, yeah. There's some there's several exceptions, and I think they're worth looking through on this guide. Let's go through some of the other things we wanted to highlight. So. Uh, also for high schools, uh, now we don't include the same sort of um, uh, improving or very low or very high performing schools in math and English for high schools. And why not? Let's. Well, they're not considered very good um, 
metrics for mm-hmm. high schools. For one thing, having high schoolers at home, I can tell you that the students don't try very hard on those tests um, because they know they don't count. They don't matter for them. So that's one factor. They matter a little bit, by the way, because it can help you test out of um, some early coursework in community colleges if you do well on them. But students don't take them very seriously. So the career and college readiness indicator is a new indicator that the state has created to help us um, measure how schools are doing. And part of the innovation is it, of it is that it's not just test score outcomes. It includes this idea of, um, of career readiness and college readiness. And so it's a combination of a school's graduation rate plus um, the proportion of students who completed a career pathway, um, met the academic standards they need to meet to um, qualify to apply to state universities. Um, how they did on the test is also included in there. Um, and oh, uh, oh, oh, and then whether they passed any courses that allow them to get some college credit. So they mash all that up and then come up with a rating, which we've reported in the guide. Right. So for Poway Unified High Schools, for example, um, there's the uh, there's five high schools here: Del Norte, Mount Carmel. Uh, Del Norte has a very high college and career ready rating. Uh, Mount Carmel has a high. You know, so there's. You can look at those um, those uh, circles and see how well they're filled in with the red there. And so that was um, how we pulled together, the, you know, an alternative. But we also wanted to pull together also how many people are taking AP tests in those schools and how many of them got more than 1,500 on the SAT, which was uh, a reading of, in some ways, how well they're studying. Right. And well, it's, you know, among those who do take the SAT, um, of course, the, the uh, scale has changed um, for any subsequent schools guides, it'll be um, a different number. But this was done in uh, 2016 when the total was 2,400. And the College Board determined that students who performed at least 1,500 on the SAT tended to thrive in college. And so this shows the proportion of students among the students who took the SAT from the school, what proportion scored above that threshold. Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, and now what we also want to do to do is, you know, a lot of things... Parents make decisions based on our factors that schools have, that the programs they offer. And so we wanted to also highlight some of the distinctions that some of these schools have. So we basically have five of these, six of these, um, the International Baccalaureate Program, the AVID Program, and then um, my favorite, the Dual Language Program. So mm-hmm. this is a specific, this isn't just there's people speaking different languages there. This isn't just there's other languages offered there. This is that there's literally in place a program of dual language immersion. Right. The goal is that all students um, who are in that program become bilingual and biliterate. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can, if you want to just look for those types of schools within your district, you can just look for that check and then look over and see where they're at. Now, part of the problem is lining up some of the elementary schools that offer this with any other like secondary or middle schools that also offer this, right? Yeah, there often is not a pathway following. Um, the, there are lots of folks working on that in the county, but um, for now, there are many elementary school options for dual language and very few at the middle and high school level. Okay, and we also did a check for the arts. Um, so some, some schools are whole arts school programs, while others have strong um, elective arts programs. And so using the data from the San Diego County Office of Education, we highlighted some specific ones. Now, look, there's a lot of schools that tout their arts yeah. you know, programs and such. And I think for future issues, we might be able to pull together a more informative guide on which ones do more of that. 
But this is from the list from the San Diego County Office of Education of specific arts emphasis, like uh, the School for Creative and Performing Arts. Right. I mean, all of these check marks are not things that Scott and Laura uh, figured right. out. These are things that outside experts uh, were able to share with us with some authority and some standards behind the designation. Um, so that's that was how we decided whether to include it in the guide. Uh, another one was the Education Equality Index. Now, this is one you found. Yeah. Um, and what made you attracted to it? What I love about this is it it, it was um, done by a national group, and they looked at they looked for they took every state's data. Actually, it's a national um, uh, model, and they looked for schools where the low income students in the school outperformed the national norms. And so we give a little tick mark um, for those. It's not a perfect measure. Um, when people look through the guide, they'll see some schools that don't have many low income kids who are getting that designation. Um, but you'll also see some schools with a good number of low-income kids. And to me, that's an amazing um, that's an amazing sign that the school's really thriving if they can do right by their lowest-income kids. All right. Now, last but not least, I do want to talk to you about your article, How to Pick a School That Keeps the End Goal in Mind. Now, I think this is an interesting point and one that I want to highlight better, too, in future issues of this is, look, this isn't about just data. It's not just about how well your school's doing in math. It's not just about these distinctions. Uh, what there is some worrying signs on the horizon about how well people need to be prepared to get into the workforce or into college and, um, and, and our ability to sort of identify how to do that or help them get there uh, along the way. And so that's what you were kind of trying to, to sketch out a little bit. Yeah, that it's not just about graduating from high school. It's not just, in fact, it's not even mainly about graduating from high school or going to college. It's about whether you're equipped to um, support a family and support yourself to um, to have a career that you find satisfying, but also that um, that works for you as a member of this community. And so, it, understanding that that's one of the important goals of education, not the only one, but a really important one. Um, a lot of schools, with support from the state and from their districts, are starting to lift up this idea of career awareness and career education in the schools. And I think it's a really great development. Right. Uh, so check this out. You, you can again, get it at, um, any library in in the County. Hopefully if you go to a library and they don't have them, send, send us a note. Uh, you can get, send me any feedback by the way at, that you'd like to, you can send it to info at voice of San org or just me directly. Sometimes my email gets a little bogged down. So you might do the info one to make sure it gets into <laughs> the, um, into the radar of a lot of other people on the site. But again, mine is scott at voiceofsandiego.org. That's scott at voiceofsandiego, all one word, dot org. And then um, info at voiceofsandiego.org as well. And you can um, send any, you know, send any feedback. Also, if you go to a library and they don't have one, or if you, you would request copies here or there, you want us to come speak at maybe your group, I'd be glad to consider something like that. And we have those three events. I'm going to read those off again. March 14th at 4 p.m. at the Skyline Hills Branch Library in the city of San Diego. We'll be there talking about the school's guide and then also just listening to you and talking about any other questions or ideas you have about local schools. March 20th at 6 p.m. at Mira Mesa, at the Mira Mesa branch of the library system. And then April 7th at the Mission Valley at 10.30 a.m. at the Mission Valley location. We'll be there. We will be there. We are looking forward to hearing your feedback on this guide. We spent a lot of time on it, and it comes from the heart, um, trying to uh, help 
as best we can be with an issue that we've wrestled with mm-hmm. and that we know that uh, a lot of parents do. And and we just want to hear from you now. What did you like? What did you not like? What more can we do? We got some great feedback uh, from some people about uh, putting into perspective, you know, um, you know, test scores, putting into perspective, you know, it'd be nice to have after school care um, quality also highlighted somehow that might be a lot of work. But if we start now, we could get some of that stuff done. So, yeah. But there, so right now it doesn't have any information that schools themselves provide, but maybe we should look for a few key facts that we add to the guide next year. We really want to hear from folks. Or schools that you think should um, deserve that sort of highlighting in the in the, in the the five innovative schools. Mm-hmm. Um, lots to do, and, and this is our start. I wanted to thank some of our partners on this. So obviously the Workforce Partnership, uh, you're there. What's Thanks. your role there right now? Uh, I am the director of communications and the center for local income mobility. Okay, cool. You did a lot of work on this. Thank you so much for doing this with me. It was exciting. Our partners at uh, UC San Diego extension did all the data crunching for us. That was wonderful, right? That was Gladys. Uh, great work. Josh Shapiro. Um, thank you for, for everything there. We also had some specific, uh, sponsors of the guide, the Nordson family foundation, uh, the Gerard foundation, the Patricia and Christopher Wheel Family Foundation in Mayland Burnham. He helped pay for the Spanish language version, which I, I, I should also highlight. Oh, we forgot to mention that. Our partner, Univision San Diego, uh, helped us uh, support the Spanish language version. I was on Univision. I had to do my first Spanish language interview on TV. I Actually, it's not my first, but the first one where I was in studio, all prepared and stuff. Woohoo. And uh, I was a little nervous. I was as nervous as I ever get buffed out the rusty Spanish and, and came through for you? I did fine. She, <laughs> they, they said, you'll do better next time. <laughs> uh, which was good because they said there'd be a next time. That's so, good. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, it was good. So Univision and Entrevision, the parent company, wonderful. Thank you so much for supporting the guide and, uh, and all of our partners on this. We will work for another good one next year if you guys liked it. And, and thanks for listening to the show this week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Voices San Diego Podcasts. This show is part of the Voices San Diego Podcast Network. Visit voiceofsandiego.org slash podcasts. There you'll learn more about our award-winning arts and education podcast, Culture Cast and Good Schools for All, the Cura Chaos podcast about movers and shakers on both sides of the border, Beer Talk Radio, our business show, I Made It in San Diego, our sports show, The Kept Faith, and the rest of the shows in the network. Voice of San Diego is a nonprofit. The majority of our budget comes from grants and donations from readers and listeners like you. If you like the show, please take a minute to go to voicesandiego.org and click the donate button. Or if you have a business and would like to sponsor the show, contact development at voicesandiego.org or call 619-550-5664.